The Mac Observer's Mac Geekab number 263 for Monday, May 24th, 2010. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geekab. I am Dave Hamilton here in Durham, New Hampshire, and in Fairfield, Connecticut is John F. Braun. But then in Durham, New Hampshire is it's me, Pilot Pete, I think. We finally have Pete here. Uh, Again, we are doing this uh, on Ustream. We just have the uh, we actually have video of all three of us streaming to Ustream. But uh, but of course, it'll be a a regular show. So answering questions from listeners that we have prepared and have come in via email, via audio. You know what? Let's do it. Contact information right at the top of the show. We're going to be answering questions uh, and sharing tips from listeners uh, from all over. And uh, and I want to make sure you all know how to get that information straight to us. So the way to do it uh, is a couple different ways. Audio comments can be phoned in to 206-666-GEEK. Which is... That's three, right. Three, four, three, three, five. But Dave, you know, I think you, I, I think people should email us. Well, they, they can call us, but they can also email us. And if you wanted to email something to us, whether it just be text or pictures or video or audio, you would email, send an email with your favorite email program to feedback at MacGeekab.com, Dave. Did you say feedback at MacGeekab.com, John? I, I certainly did not say feedback at MacGeekab.com. Uh, and of course, if you are a premium subscriber, you can email us to premium at MacGeekGab.com. Uh, you can Skype your comments to MacGeekGab. And I believe that covers it. Right, Sean? Pretty much. All right. Uh, then with that, let's jump right into the questions. And the first one that we are going to go with here is sort of an interesting one. Sakthi writes, my system is a late 2000 model 20 inch Intel iMac 2.4 gigahertz running snow leopard with all the latest updates. I started having Wi-Fi issues in the last few weeks. The connection is very flaky and connects sometimes does not connect. Sometimes I have two windows XP laptops and one Ubuntu 10.4 laptop, and they all seem to work just fine around the same area where the iMac is located. I've tried most of the basic things, delete location, set up new connection, delete system configuration folder. And finally, I also reinstalled the combo updater. I have all three browsers installed, Safari, Firefox, and Chrome. My router is a Netgear. Nothing has changed recently in terms of router, firmware, iMac location, etc. This is running just fine for over two years with no hardware changes. Recently, I installed and uninstalled several applications as I was looking for a DLNA solution for my new network-enabled AV receiver. Not sure if something caused an issue. So is there something I should try before doing a clean install of the OS? All right, uh, John, you want to you want to take this one? I know we'll bounce it back and forth a little bit here. So, oh, we'll bounce it back and forth. All right. So this is uh, I, I thought it was a portable, in which case I would say that the uh, the in my opinion, the antenna on a lot of Mac portables is is not the greatest. Um, but he's running an iMac, but that that's still uh, yeah, could have a, a crummy antenna. So uh, hold on, I'm, I have too many buttons to press here too. So. <laughs> Um, one thing you could do, and this is what I've done sometimes. So, um, you want to check, uh, uh, the console is certainly one place to look to try to get some diagnostic information. Um, 
Or I'm going to mention two things. So one is the console, and I'm looking at some messages right here. So what you do is you open up the console, um, and what you'll see are messages from kernel, um, K-E-R-N-E-L. And whenever you're associating or connecting to uh, uh, any Wi-Fi-based station, you're going to see a whole bunch of messages in the kernel, and you may be seeing the reason that this is happening. Um, you know, you'll get messages when the link is up and when the link goes down. So you may be seeing additional information. Maybe there is some other issue um, <clears throat> in the software, and, and you can look here for that. The, the second thing that kind of gloms onto that is uh, I run something called Hardware Growler, which is part of the Growl notification system. And you can enable, and if you're running Hardware Growler, it'll show you whenever you're connecting or disconnecting uh, from an airport. Um, so that will probably be a better way because I don't think you want to sit there looking at the console constantly, seeing what, what's happening. Sure. But if, if you have these events, uh, you, you will get messages with not quite as much detail as as you see in the in the console, but you will get messages showing when you're associating or disassociating, or you know getting kicked off of the base station that it reestablishes a connection. So that would be one of my suggestions to try to gather information about what is causing this: is console and uh, hardware growler. Cool. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I, that that's that's one. That's the first place to look, perhaps. Uh, what what I would also think, and I've seen, I, I have this issue is near and dear to my heart because my original thirty two bit, you know, uh, first gen MacBook Pro uh, is having these issues. It's the one that that Lisa uses, and it it did. It worked totally fine for a while, and now it drops off the network. It, uh, it, you know, it won't see the network sometimes it's doing all kinds of crazy things. And, uh, and so what I, um, what I thought was, and if I can, you know, narrow down, is this a software problem or is it a hardware problem? And so what I would was thinking is boot from the Mac OS 10 install DVD. You can't boot to a separate user account because it, um, it, because that that's not enough, right? Your your wireless connection is a system wide connection. It's not a uh, a per user connection. So, booting from a, a Mac OS ten DVD and really maybe even rolling back and trying to boot from the Leopard DVD versus the Snow Leopard DVD. See if there's something in the Snow Leopard that's causing issues for you. That would be or or a clean install to a to a separate drive. I mean that would that would also you know, uh, work. You don't necessarily have to boot from the DVD, but something that's a different boot drive so that you're getting different network services and different system services. Perhaps that might, uh, that might help that that's, you know, try it's thought number two. So take it, John. Okay. That's a good one. And sorry about the heavy breathing there, folks. No, that's okay. <laughs> I mentioned, I mentioned oh. our Skype chat to John about backing away from the mic. I, I, I think it was only noticeable to me because I'm so, so hyper aware of these things yes you are um you know another thing is not on the list here but um but i'm gonna mention it anyway well now i'm gonna do something on the list here all right no i'm gonna do the thing not on the list good um you may want to consider uh repositioning or reorienting um the base station uh now i realize and, and no this was good i mean i mean uh uh, uh Sakthi followed very good diagnostic practices in that in the same area, physical area, so that's good to note, um, this is the only machine that has problems. Um, that being said, you may want to, if you can, um, I see, okay, it's a, it's a Netgear right. WGR614B6. Um, you may want to try to you know, reposition it. Um, 
Uh, the, the, this is is leading, I think, uh, to me more of a, a environmental issue. You may want to see if you can reorient it. I don't know if this is one that has one or two antennas. Um, you, you may want to try to you know get it closer to the area or make sure it's not near any metal and you don't have any weird reflection you know related stuff with you know metal structures in the house and all that. So if it's at all possible to move that. Uh, you know, so this being one variable you want to change, maybe move move your net gear if you can, you know, uh, preferably closer or, or or again, make sure it's not near anything that's metal or liquid, because that typically wreaks havoc with uh, 2.4 gigahertz uh, RF signals. So um, you may want to try that again as one one variable in the equation uh, to see if that that fixes anything. Yeah. It, it, you know, and along those lines it, in in your description, you said you didn't change anything. Uh, but that, of course, doesn't mean that nothing changed. And what could have changed is your neighbor may have also set up a wireless network or a cordless phone or something else that operates in the 2.4 gigahertz range. Perhaps that's causing uh, some some issues, too. So uh, I think I think we've I think we've exhausted this one. Yes, John. Um, I mean, unless it's hardware, in which case, you know, that that's what we're trying to rule out here. Well. Uh, to, to round it out, and Pete suggested this in, in our chat, um, it, well, no, you make a good point, Dave, but to follow up on that, how would you even know that something in the environment has changed? And that's where you'd get something, I think, uh, our favorite, well, well, the two I would suggest on the Mac is either uh, a stumbler or air radar. And just take a peek and see what is surrounding you. Yeah, I'm, I'm since it sounds like he hasn't changed anything, it sounds like someone else has, uh, as you pointed out, is maybe a neighbor or, or you know, someone close by has maybe uh, put up uh, something on the same channel um, and it may be uh, the, the Mac may be the most sensitive device and is just getting upset about that. So yep. so break out either air radar or I stumbler, see who is, and this is good general advice. Uh, you know, anyways, is look at the list, see what base stations are visible, what channel they're on and whatever is um, wherever you see the most people change the channel to something else. And because uh, uh, typically, I think, uh, I don't know, most devices, I think, default. well, it depends. I mean, they either default, I think, the one, six or 11. Right. If you're talking the. Uh, yes, that's right. That's right. Earlier. Um, you could also try to do an in-between channel, though, that then you have the chance of overlap. But uh, yeah, try changing the uh, go to the base and change the channel if you have that ability, which I'm, I'm sure it gives you buried in there somewhere. Yep. Pete, did you have something to add? No, that was pretty much it. Being okay. able to change the channels. And if you were to do, obviously, we've been messing with the DD word stuff lately that you can set your bandwidth uh, on the channel or the the band of the channel to 10 megahertz 20 megahertz sure you know yep. so you can set it right down there but all right uh let's move on to denny and see what we get with that denny writes when looking at, also about wireless when looking in airport utility at the stats for my airport extreme i noticed my macbook pro shows a signal of negative 34 and rate of 300 while my Wi-Fi iPad shows a signal of negative 58 and a rate of 39. Can you clarify what these stats mean? Uh, okay, so we will uh, we will defer to our own Mr. Braun on this one because uh, because you've got the, the magic answer there, John. You think I do, huh? Uh, okay. That's that's what we think. <clears throat> All right. So what you are seeing. So first off, there are um, how do you even get these numbers, um, which this value that you see in the, um, uh, so I guess you can get this from the airport utility. Uh, if you run the airport utility, you connect to your base station. There are a number of ways to do this actually, which is kind of interesting. So one of them is you pointed out, Dave, um, airport utility, base station, 
logs and stats wireless clients is one way to look at all the clients connected to the station. It'll show you a couple of different figures. Um, there are a couple of the one thing I want to point out is there are a couple of different ways to get to this. Um, one is if you run the airport utility and you click on the airport tab, you're going to see one parameter called wireless clients. Now, this is kind of quirky behavior in the airport utility, but if you click on wireless clients, that will also get you to the screen that shows you this. And then I think the last one is if you go to the advanced icon, logs and statistics. So there are at least three ways to get to the screen. But one thing that it shows you um, is something called DBM. Um, this is a way to measure RF energy. Now, what is a DBM? And I'm going to tell you, well, actually, I'm going to link to a document. So the people at Wild Packets um, wrote a very nice document. But here is the definition. Zero DBM equals one milliwatt. Okay. All right. Now, in you know, the way I always looked at that, and what we're talking about here is if you go into your um, airport utility and go to the base station menu, choose logs and statistics, and then go to wireless clients there. Uh, then you notice that there's there's this graph uh, that shows wireless clients and, and these numbers that we're talking about. I had always assumed that zero was sort of the top and you, the closer you got to zero. Of course, we're talking about negative numbers here. So the closer you got to zero, the better the signal was, but that you could not go over zero. But but is that not the case, John? Um, you are absolutely correct, Dave, in that that number can go above zero. OK, now for, for the purpose of Wi-Fi, um, you're probably, and this is why I think Apple did the graph this way. So if you look at the utility, um, as you mentioned, it maxes out at zero dBm, which again is one milliwatt of power. Um, you're never, uh, you know, assuming everything's operating normally and within FCC guidelines and all that fun stuff, you're probably never going to see a value that goes above zero dBm. So that's why they made the graph like that. Got but, it. Um, but the thing is, the, the value could certainly, so for example, one milliwatt is zero dBm. For example, looking at the document I found here, 11.1 um, dBm is 13 milliwatts, 13.9 dBm is 25 milliwatts, et cetera, et cetera. 20 dBm is 100 milliwatts, but you're probably never going to see that amount of power. So that's why they, they, they cut the graph off. I mean, they kind of had to so you could see it. Um, and, and then the, there's another thing here in that dBm, anything that's measured in decibels, is something, and this kind of gets a little, uh, for the math geeks, you guys will love this, but anything that's measured in dB is something that's on a exponential or logarithmic scale versus a linear scale. Okay. And for a lot of phenomenon, it makes sense to measure things that way, because if you try to measure it in a linear fashion, it would just be very difficult to... To, to comprehend or graph in, in, in a useful fashion. So that's why a lot of things are measured in decibels. And there, there are other phenomena measured this way as well. Like, for example, Richter scale. I think it's also another, you know, logarithm type of thing. And it's not linear. So, you know, uh, you know, something on the Richter scale that's, you know, whatever, you know, five is not, you know, twice as powerful as, as, as uh, two and a half. It may be, uh, whatever. Uh, I, I don't want to get too much into this. You know, pick up your math book and check it out and look up uh, logarithms and exponentiation or decibels. Just look at decibels. Um, but 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 the the thing is is what these numbers mean is the the less negative that number is, yeah, the more power, um, the, the more power the RF signal has. Yes. Okay. Which so there were the more the more said. positive it is, the more power it has. 
Correct. So if it's if it's, you know, negative, for example, again, looking at the document here, if you have something that's negative eight dBm, um, that is less power than um, negative six or negative zero being the, the most power that you could see. And based on my experience, I've never seen anything approach zero dBm at Got least it. in the uh, Wi-Fi. Uh, but, so that is what that, that number means. And that's one of the numbers that you see. Now, the thing to note, and I've noticed this as well, is that these numbers are only meaningful within a particular um, flavor of Wi-Fi. And huh. like, for example, on my, on my machine, I have both 802.n and 802.11n and 802.11g things. Um, or, or, or I guess what I'm saying is that it, the, the power figure doesn't necessarily indicate a relative measure of speed. Because you may be on a different, uh, you may be on a different uh, uh, wireless sure. protocol. Sure, sure, right, right. That which, which that's a good point. That makes good sense. Yep. But what yep. the airport utility shows you, and this is, uh, and now, the, but this is definitely uh, the figure you want to look at is you're going to see one thing in the airport utility is rate, and what this is is the Wi-Fi rate that the the base and the and the client have negotiated with one another, and the higher that number is, the better. Um, in theory, it should, well, it can approach the maximum throughput of uh, the particular protocol. So, for example, if you're on 802.11g, you're never going to see a number there bigger than 54, which I believe is, you know, the theoretical maximum. Right. And in theory, you really won't get anything better. Right, I guess right. it, yeah, I guess it'll call it 54, but your actual throughput would be half that. Uh, in, Pretty much. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, likewise. So for example, you know, where I am, I'll see my, my TiVo adapter. It says the rate is 54. Uh, my Mac, um, which shows, uh, oddly enough, it shows a less, a lower or a power level, but it, sh- but it has a higher, um, data rate. Got it. So I guess the, the point I made before is, is, is the power, uh, the power is certainly relevant within the particular protocol, be it 802.11b, G or N, but it doesn't necessarily tell you uh, more power is not necessarily better, I guess, um, is, is what I'm trying to say. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Well, while we're talking about uh, hardware and, and cool stuff like that, I want to talk about our, our first sponsor, which is Audio Engine at AudioEngineUSA.com. And I use, as longtime listeners of the show will know, both John and I have Audio Engine speakers the ones I want to talk about today are the Audio Engine 2s, or the A2s, as they, as they call them. These are truly what I would call desktop speakers. Two speakers, small enough to fit on most desks, even if it's a small desk. They can plug into the back of your Mac, and uh, the one speaker has... Uh, uh, the cable goes from your Mac to one, one of the enclosures. Each enclosure has two speakers in it, a, a kind of a woofer, low-end speaker, and a tweeter, a high-end. And it's got a little port at the bottom for bass. Then a cable goes and the amplifier is in one speaker. And then a cable goes between the two speakers to power uh, them both. These things sound fantastic. They, they, they defy their size. I have them in, uh, in the house. They fill two or three rooms easily, very cleanly, very clearly. These speakers, as with all audio engine speakers, are engineered to play MP3 music. So they've got a special EQ pattern that makes up for some of the shortcomings introduced by conversion down to MP3. And they really do. They sound full. They sound great. Uh, the A2s are available, of course, at AudioEngineUSA.com. They are uh, $199. You can get them in black or in white. And 
Audio Engine has a cool thing. They call it their 30-day audition, which means that if you buy these speakers and you don't like them, within 30 days you can return them and you get all your money back. On top of that, they've given us a special coupon code for you folks to use. It is M-G-G-T-E-N. So that's uh, Mac Geek Gab 10, but M-G-G-T-E-N. Use that at checkout. You'll get 10% off. So these speakers are now 180 bucks. That's at uh, AudioEngineUSA.com. And with that, we have uh, we have a question from Gazmaz, I think, if I've got the name right. Let's uh, let's see where we go. Hi, John and Dave. Or is it Dave and John? <laughs> anyway, Gazmaz from the UK here. Now, we're going on holiday later this summer to a cottage in Cornwall. Lucky us. Part of the description of the cottage says that it has wired Internet. Now, I have an iPad on pre-order. And one of the uses I have in mind is to take the iPad away with me on business and holiday trips. <laughs> I'm sure like a lot of other people. Now, I do have a MiFi device, but knowing the area we're heading to, not only may there be no 3G signal, we actually have friends who live in Cornwall that even struggle with an edge signal. So this got me thinking that I could take an airport express so I can create a Wi-Fi hotspot using the wired connection that the cottage has. I've heard you both mention this as a good way when you're travelling to hotels to create a more secure or a cheaper way of getting a Wi-Fi signal whilst staying away. So where's the problem? Well, as I don't have either an express or an iPad yet, I wondered how easy if it's possible at all, to use the iPad system settings or if there's an app to set the Express up when you're away. This, of course, could also relate to the iPod Touch and the iPhone. Hope this makes some sort of sense. Have a great Mac week. All right. Uh, thank you, Gazmaz. So I believe the short answer is no. The only utility that's available to con to configure an airport uh, base station of any kind, which also includes the time capsule, is Apple's airport utility, which is available for both Windows and the Mac. Uh, but it is that's it that there is no other way now. Yes. Oh, there is. Well, I think there is, Dave. OK, yeah, go ahead. So first I, I, I want to I, I believe the gist of the question was or, or, or if I translate it is, is there a way to use my iPad to configure the Airport Express. Correct. I think that was the question, even though I didn't hear that explicitly being said. I think that was that that's what he was hinting at. Yeah. Um, and as you're pointing out, for, for the most part, um, those two utilities, the, the airport utility is what most people would use. Um, I did find something and actually I got it to run. This is something that I ran years ago and, and it seems to work in at least one direction. Um, and it's something called Airport Configurator. It's a Java application. Okay. Now, the problem is, of course, is, you know, some devices like Apple portable devices <laughs> don't run Java. So, Well, wait a minute. No, the iPad runs Java. Well, I, I don't think it'll run Java executables like this. Pro or, okay. Or, uh, I'm, okay. I'm sorry. Let me correct myself. I don't see a way to get this program called Airport Configurator. Got it. Uh, able to, I believe you can run Java in a browser, but, yes. but I don't believe you can run standalone applications okay. on any of the iDevices. Yeah, if you if you um, were, you'd have to compile it and and submit it through the App Store process, right? And yeah, I could, and I could guarantee you this one would be next. 
Right. Well, obviously, because their their explicit <laughs> statement, as you and I did on a recent, uh, yeah. which one was it? I, I forget, Dave, we're on so many podcasts. These yeah, days. Mac that Jury, I the, think. The Mac Jury, and, uh, and basically Apple said, you know, unless it's C, C++, uh, you know, or Objective-C, uh, no. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, no. so the thing is, there is a utility called Airport Configurator. So one suggestion, um, if you have a device at your disposal that runs Java, Maybe that's a way to do it, but but I, I think my suggestion would be is hopefully you can if you get the airport express. Hopefully you could. Uh, I don't know if out of the box it would do what I think most of us would expect, Dave. Now my assumption, and and I I think this is true, is that when you get the device out of the box, it's set up to do DHCP and um, uh, share an IP address. It I'm might pretty be sure. Yeah, in, I don't know. Which, in which case, if that's the default uh, configuration of it, and usually the default name of it is something along the lines of airport base and part of the MAC address of the base station. I don't think it's the whole one, because, or at least the ones I see in my neighborhood. So you may be able to just plug it into the wireless, and all of a sudden on your device you will see something called airport base or airport express or whatever and and some wacky looking hexadecimal string at the end of it um i would hope that 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 that, that would be the mode that you know that wired connection would accept that it, it would you know the, the airport express would grab a address by dhcp do the sharing of an ip address and you're good to go um can i offer something yeah yeah go ahead Pete. Uh, absolutely yeah, yeah. set it up well mine's set up permanently but i you know i set it up one time with my laptop now, when I plug it in in the hotel room, once it turns green, I know it's grabbed an IP address and I can mm-hmm. use my iPhone or my iPad or anything like that. So, right. I mean, that's that's not much technical help. But if you can set it up before you leave on your home network, you should be good to go. Sure. Sure. Um, yep. and, and it's going to grab an IP address just like it would in a hotel room. And But you want the double. Remember, what was it called? Double NAT or something like that. Yeah, you, you want it to. Says, right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, so that would if you set it up ahead of time and assuming you don't need to change anything, which you shouldn't, just set it up in in essentially what would be considered normal mode, where you're plugging it into your cable modem. That that same thing should work. But my advice in this situation, if you know that you have to configure it with your iPad or, or your iPhone or not the computer that's going to have the special software, is don't buy an an Apple router. Buy a Linksys, buy a Netgear, buy a D-Link, buy something that's configurable over a, a web interface and just do it that way. You still need to be careful because with an iPad or an iPhone, you cannot connect via ethernet. And so if you screw something up and you forget your wireless password or, you know, something goes wrong, then you're, you're done, right? You know, you're, you're sort of cooked, but, uh, but otherwise I, I think you're, I, you know, I, I would just go with a third party router and that way you're good to go. And it's going to be cheaper too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like the WRT fifty four G or, or yeah. derivative. Are I those even available anymore? Those. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, but whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Thirty dollar wireless router. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 You don't need a lot of range on the thing. It's only you're, you're only trying to cover a hotel room. Presumably, there's not many walls in there. Although gonna... he did say he wants to go on business trips and such. So you know right. that that's the beauty of the Express. I do put it in my in my suitcase, and I hardly notice it's there. Yep. Yep. Although I think I think D-Link has yeah. has a very small oh, really? compact. Well, yeah, nice. it's not like cool? the Express with the you know with the the uh, AC outlet right or the AC plug right. right on it, but close enough. So yeah. yeah. 
All right. Uh, let's go to uh, let's move on to our discs and files section uh, and see what Donnie has to ask. You ready for Donnie, John? I'm ready. Hi, guys. Donnie from Wisconsin here. And I uh, just wanted to say while listening to your most recent podcast, episode 260, um, you're the guy there that had the um, USB drive woes kind of sparked me remembering that I'm having some kind of issue in the same category. Um, basically, what I'm seeing is whether it be my CF card plugged in through my printer, a memory card stuck into the memory card slot on the side of my iMac, or a just a standard USB thumb drive going to the USB port, all of which I believe formatted in FAT32, when I'm deleting files from those it says they're deleted and they're actually leaving the device however it still shows that they're full um, it's quite annoying because I often have to take the CF card even though I've deleted the photos I have to take the CF card out put it in the camera go into the camera options and format the card and same thing for all the other devices I have to somehow find a way to format them in something else because the Mac is deleting files but it's actually not getting rid of the, you know, clearing out the data. And I tried putting it in the camera to see if I could take pictures, and it says there's no pictures on it, but it won't let me take any new pictures, so it's actually not fully getting rid of whatever's on there. So that's that. All right, uh, so there was some discussion here, Donnie, and we have to ask, are you in a, a, a small plane or uh, or perhaps a car or riding a lawnmower while, uh, while you're, you're asking the question? So... Uh, so I think the answer here, though, is pretty straightforward. Like any disk on the Mac, when you uh, when you trash files, they do not they aren't automatically deleted. Your your compact flash drive is treated like any other disk drive connected to your Mac, which means that it has a trash folder. And I think the simple answer here is once you've moved stuff to the trash in the finder, just go to empty trash like you normally would. Each disk has its own trash. Uh, and and I think that'll take care of your that'll take care of your problem. Uh, so, John, you and got it, you got something to add here? Absolutely. Because so it, so you may be asking, where is trash, Dave? Where is the trash, John? <laughs> No, Dave. No. Um, <laughs> and if you look at the drive, so so trash is something that's invisible. Um, uh, and with Mac OS X and other Unix operating systems, typically something is made invisible in that it's not visible. It's not shown in the Finder, and it's not shown in a normal directory, which is ls. But if you do ls uh, something like ls space dash a, I think um, uh, it'll show you. Yes, right? dash a will show you hidden files. Yes, that's right. Right. Now, here's another thought. Here's the kind of wacky thing, or, or I noticed this when I was digging through my system, is that um, you will see a folder called dot trashes. But then within dot trashes, check this out, because I noticed this just the other day. I looked in there, and I assumed it would just be the files that I threw away in dot trashes. No. Dot trashes slash 501. And... If any, if, if any of the listeners have been paying attention, what is 501? And you know that, Dave. I do. That's right, because we talked about it in the last show. 501 is the user ID assigned to the first account that macOS 10 creates for a user, typically the administrator that's created during startup. Right. So my one thought, uh, and 
maybe it's not relevant to this case, but if you have multiple users on the system, there's going to be different trashes. So maybe that's why things are not disappearing. Now, is that the case with external drives where there are no permissions assigned or, or, and I don't know this answer. I saw this on a flash drive that I was testing to to research this. So, um, so if you have multiple users, each one is going to have a trash. Um, so I'm just speculating that, that, that if we're talking, you know, if, if he's using this card on multiple systems, there, there's going to be multiple trashes and maybe one of them is where all the stuff is and it hasn't been uh, emptied out or cleared out. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. Uh, let's move on to uh, John's, not this, not our John, of course, but uh, a tip from John. Hello, John. Hello, Dave. This is John Green calling from Hong Kong. I was at uh, our local Hong Kong Mac user group meeting the other day, and I was quite surprised to learn that everyone there had no idea that you can mess around with PDF files and make them smaller than individual applications will allow. For example, if you have a very large PDF file, the logical thing to do is to bring it either into preview or PDF pen or uh, Adobe Acrobat and reduce the file size. Adobe Acrobat, when you reduce the file size, gives you a good quality PDF. Unfortunately, the other two somewhat give you a uh, rather pixelated looking result, though I'm told when you print them, they look okay. What I've learned is that when you reduce a file size in Adobe Acrobat, you might knock something, for example, which is 60 megabytes, you might knock it down to something like 16 or something like that. Um, but what I've learned is if you then open that with preview and then save it as PDF, it bounces right back up to 60 megabytes or more. But then if you take that file and put it into Adobe Acrobat and reduce file size, you're going to come out with something ridiculously low in the hundreds of K. Hmm. Hope this is helpful. Take care. Bye. Thanks, John. That's cool. Uh, and I'm I'm sure there are many listeners out here that would like to know this. So, anything to add, John? Before we uh, before we move on, well, I'm, to I'm wondering: is, is this? Uh, have you done a lot of uh, Acrobat work? I mean, is this an option in the Acrobat Creator? Yeah, when it, you the, the distiller does it have an option somewhere saying compress or compact or, or whatever? Yeah, well, you can decide. There's a lot of different options, and there's some presets. Mm. But uh, but yeah, there's a lot of different options as to what's going to get compressed and how and and you know w- 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 how everything's going to get built. And so you can you know you can have an option to create a PDF for uh, preprint, which is just going to be huge, or for the screen, which is going to be small. And you can you can kind of muck around with uh, with different settings again, or, or use presets built into it. So yeah, yeah. And then QuickTime, as he said, has its own uh, PDF compression, but. It, it, I've never tried printing something that was compressed with QuickTime PDF compression, but uh, the uh, or the Apple's, I guess it's QuickTime, but uh, but it doesn't look that great on the screen in many cases. So, mm. yeah. All right. All right. Uh, should we should we move on to Charles here? Charles has a good kind of general question here. Sure. Yeah. All right. Charles writes, I recently uh, let's see, I teach high school computer art classes. I have a lab with 11 Mac pros running 10.6.3 with two gigs of Ram Intel core two duos and four power Mac G fives with 10.5 point something on them. The OS is running on the same hard drive that the student data is stored on at my workstation. I have run Apple remote desktop three, which is a real gem for managing the classroom. 
I would like to know what kind of maintenance you would suggest for the end of the year to keep these machines running smooth. I will use compressed air to clean out the dust bunnies from the inside, but what do you recommend I do at the OS level? I have three student user accounts set up for each of my classes, graphic design one, two, and advanced multimedia. I usually delete the user accounts and set up new ones for the following year. I would like to ensure I clean up the hard drives so everything runs as it should. I'm considering running Onyx to clean out all the Gremlins, downloads, fonts, iTunes, libraries, etc. Should I run Onyx on the administrator account after deleting the student accounts? Is there any harm in using the erase and clean install too many times? All right. Lots of questions. I'll, I'll start with a little bit of this, John, and then we'll we'll pass it back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think deleting the student user accounts first is absolutely the right move. Once you do that. Uh, you will have, I believe it's in, in uh, the root level of the hard drive users, uh, deleted accounts. You may right. have the data from those stored as disk images in there. So you can just trash those disk images, assuming you're not going to want the data archived for any reason. So that, that would be step one. And then, yeah, step two, it would definitely be run Onyx. There's, you know, there's no question that that, uh, but that would be a, you know, a, a good second step. There's no reason to run it while the user accounts are still active, if you plan on deleting them. So go ahead and wipe them out first, then run Onyx and, and uh, from an admin account and just have it run through everything, clean it all up and, uh, and go from there. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what do you, you got anything to add, John? Okay. Um, well, one caution. All right. So the compressed air thing. Yeah. I, I would hope that you're not in an environment where you have to do that too often. I guess the only caution I would offer with compressed air is make sure you do not get too close to the circuit board. Because that is compressed air, and if you get too close to the circuit board, what's coming out of there is quite cold because it's compressed, right? Right. So just be careful that you don't get too close to the circuit board because if it gets too cold, you may, you may bust it. <laughs> All right. I've, heard, I've, heard, I've, I've, seen, well, I've seen cases where if you use compressed air and you get right on a circuit board, you're going to see actual frost develop on the circuit board. Oh, wow. You probably don't want to stress out your circuit board. So, so I would just say maintain a respectable distance from the circuit board if you're going to blow out the dust bunnies and stuff like that. Because as he's pointing out, I mean, the, the thing is dust stacks as a wonderful insulator and it's just going to make the machine run hot. Right. So, right. Um, right. Uh, so just be careful again of the proximity. Now, number two, uh, the, the question here, is there any harm in using a, a race and clean install too many times? I... I would say no. The, the only thing I would do, and I notice this is typically a default with any OS X installation, is skip the step. Oh, I don't know. We, we, we can battle over this. Uh, skip the step of verifying the DVD or the CD. Oh, yeah. Because I know this most save time. Sure. Well, yeah, like save. I mean, sometimes. It, I mean, if it's going through the entire you know, DVD of the install there, that, that could take a, a few seconds or a few minutes or an hour. To verify the media? I mean, if it's going to fail, it's going to fail. I, I suppose you take a small risk that there's going to be some corruption that's missed if you don't verify the media. Right. But just so you're not spending your entire life doing this. Uh, but but I, I don't think that the, you know, disk activity that's that's uh, created by Erasa and Clean Install is, is, is going to, you know, shorten the life of the machine or anything. So if you have the time, I, I would say that's probably the best solution because then you're, you're, you're starting fresh. Yeah. But it's going to take time. So, so weigh, weigh your options there. I, I, I think Onyx is a good middle, middle of the road solution to, to clean out all the cruft um, before you, you know, set it up again for the new. Uh... I mean, another thing you could do. Well, no, I guess you got to create individual user accounts. I'm, I'm just thinking, and I think, uh, I don't know if remote desktop uh, or Apple uh, ARD does this. Apple remote desktop does this is that you may want to create 
Um, no, I guess it doesn't apply in this case. I, I'm thinking that in, in some environments, I know what they do is they create a standard image. Sure. Um, which has all the apps and stuff that you need. And pretty much every time, uh, you know, and it could be literally a disk image file or something like that. And every time you, uh, you know, have a new class come in, you basically just reinstall that image or, you know, re- retrieve that image and write over what's already there. And, uh, yeah, you could use something I had, as we were going through this, I'd kind of written down ideas as they came to mind. And one was using something like deep freeze from Pharonics, right. Mm-hmm. That, that does, that does that in its own way, right. You could, you can save the system at a certain point and then just wipe it out and, uh, and blow away those user accounts and get it right back to where it was. Of course, if you do system wide updates throughout the year, those go away too. So you're, you've got to sort of decide what's the, you know, what's the shortest path to, to the goal here. One other thing I would do after wiping out the user accounts, after uh, running Onyx uh, is go and run Omni disk sweeper and let it go through the drive just to find, you know, you may have some, you're, you're doing art classes, right? So chances are you're dealing with very large files at times. Uh, if, if one of those files is being stored outside of a user account, it's not going to get blown away and you may not even realize it until it starts to build up. So running Omni disk sweeper, uh, once a year, you don't want to, you don't want to go nuts with it because it does take some time to run, but, uh, but doing that once a year might, might be a good idea just to give you an idea if there's anything out there that's going to, that's going to cause trouble. So, mm-hmm. all right. Um, Trying to think of where to go here. You know what I'm going to do? I, I want to talk about our second sponsor, which is GoToAssist Express from Citrix. Oh, they're there's calling. My, there's my phone ringing. That's they're right. calling. <laughs> yeah, they're calling. That's right. When are you going to talk about it? <laughs> uh, GoToAssist. That's right. Yeah, no, I wish. Uh, that's GoToAssist Express from Citrix. And what GoToAssist Express is, is it lets you connect to other computers remotely in a very, very easy way. Uh, the idea is you have a need to cr- to connect to someone else's computer to fix it much simpler than calling them on the phone and trying to walk them through it and playing the operator game and having them not quite tell you what you want to hear and you telling them what, you know, with confusing instructions back and forth. If you could just control the machine, things get so much simpler as long as it's simple to control the machine. Now, you, you know, we mentioned Apple Remote Desktop. You can do that, uh, but you've got to, you know, do some port forwarding and get into the router and all that sort of stuff that can get very, very convoluted very quickly and sometimes is more complex than actually just solving the computer issue. And this is where GoToAssist Express really shines. What you do is you go to a web page, you type in, uh, there you, you select that you want to create a new session you give a special URL to the person on the other end. They go there and authenticate, meaning just agree to let you in and boom, you're in. It's that simple. There's no reconfiguring of firewalls, none of that. And it simply works. The cool part is if you go to go to assist.com slash gab, you get 30 days free. Again, that's go to assist.com slash gab. And it gives you 30 days for free of go to assist express from Citrix. All right. Uh, you want to talk about these, uh, these, the, this, uh, the, the next thing with Chuck, or should we move on to the to the battery? Uh, all right, I'm with you. I think. I think. Oh, no. How about Peter? Oh yeah, we can do Peter. Peter's good. Peter's good. Chuck. Chuck. I think we'll cover. Uh, Chuck gets. They might need uh, more battle. time. Well, that pegs the geek meter. <laughs> it and does. It's something that I think is is kind of specific. Yeah. But I like Peter's question. All right. So, here we go. Uh, I vote for Peter. 
Hello, Mac Geek Gab podcast team. Dave, John, Pilot Pete, what a fantastic job you guys are doing. It's a superb podcast that you guys create. And genuinely, thank you so much from an avid listener. Hi, my name is Peter. I'm calling from the UK. And I've got a couple of questions that I could really use your guidance and help and experience with. Um, the first one is that I'm trying to create a passworded archive file that a Windows user would be able to use a password on to unzip, basically. So I can select a load of files on my Mac, I can right-click them and create the archive file, but I'd like to put a password on that um, and basically have a, a password-encrypted zip file that the Windows user can open. Um, I can't find a simple way of doing that without some people suggesting using terminal or command line things. And to be perfectly honest, that's a little bit too geeky for me. Um, so I'm looking for a simple um, uh, tool that'll let me encrypt a zip file so that someone else can unencrypt it if they have the password. That would be fantastic. So that was my first question. Okay. My second question is about syncing two folders. I have a MacBook Pro 15-inch uh, laptop, 2008, I think it is. Um, and I drag my photos into a folder on that hard drive. And I'd like it to automatically sync to an external drive. Um, of course, I run loads of backups, thanks to your advice. I've got Time Machine running super duper, and they all perform, perform perfectly. But just for that photo folder, I'd like it to sync to another drive, so I've got an extra backup of it. So every time I drop a picture into that folder, it just resyncs to the external drive. Okay. Uh, all right. I think we've got both questions. In fact, I'm, I'm going to answer these in reverse order. Uh, the the second mm -hmm. one here, we've discussed this before, and there's. The, I agree with you. I think it would be great if there was something like this out there. Dropbox, uh, as you as you know, does this, but it forces you to sync up to the cloud as well, and you may not want to do that. Of course, you know, with a pictures folder, you may not have enough storage on Dropbox to do that without purchasing more. Uh, and in fact, one of the most requested enhancements to Dropbox is to allow local syncing of folders, uh, essentially using their app to sync things locally without bothering with beaming it up to the cloud. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever see that, but you can go online and vote for new features at Dropbox. So, so that's number two. Uh, and you know, maybe a folder action would be the only other thing where you can, uh, set up a, an Apple script to copy uh, the contents of that folder to another drive and have it act on new files as they're dropped in. That's uh, that's that, that would work. Uh, we've got Mac geek 21 in the chat room saying that Chronosync or um, that, that Chronosync is a good, uh, a good option for this as well. So we will certainly link to that in the show notes. Uh, so that's, that's question number one. Uh, question number two, rather. Question number one, creating a password encrypted archive that is cross-platform, -plat I believe, is the meta question there. Yes. Uh, so, John, go ahead. All right. Well, a few. So, number one, you, you pointed that point this out, Dave, and I think this is one option, though it's a commercial. I, I don't believe it's a free option, but um, uh, stuff it. Okay. 
is one option. Yeah. I do believe they have versions for both Mac and Windows. So that's one. But then I think you got to pay for it. And who wants to pay for stuff unless uh, you really have to? Sure. The, the, the good news is that OS X has this built in. And now, Peter, I'm going to say embrace your inner geek. Do not be afraid of the command line because it's very, very simple to do this. So if you go to the terminal, and I actually have an article that, that talks about this, but it's pretty straightforward. So if you... You, you can execute. So unfortunately, the the uh, version of zip or compress uh, is usually the way it's termed in the finder doesn't give you an option. Last I checked of encrypting something or, or well, it's encrypting if you specify a password. But if you go to the terminal and you type um, zip space dash E, that stands for encrypt. And then space, the next parameter is the name that you want to give the zip file then a space, and then either the file or files in the directory that you want to encrypt. And then the next thing that's going to come up is it's going to say, well, tell me what the password is. Right. So I would not be, it's about as simple as you can get. I think the only thing you may have to struggle with is navigating to the directory where the stuff is or how to specify correctly the file or files. That may be the only stumbling point here using the zip command, but the zip command uh, that, that's built into OS 10 will support this option from what I've seen. Uh, again, it's, it's not available from the finder interface. And then another option, which is something I've dealt with before, Dave, and I think this may also accomplish this TrueCrypt. Now, one nice thing about TrueCrypt. So TrueCrypt is an open source um, tool that lets you on both Mac Windows and Linux uh, create encrypted volumes, but then it also lets you, and I did a write-up of this, of course, I'll link to it, um, recently, is um, you can also create what they call an encrypted container. And basically what this is, is a file that's encrypted with the very, very good encryption in TrueCrypt. And the good news is that this file is cross-platform. So unlike some of the other things, and then some of the folks in the chat room are asking this, as far as I've seen, the options that are offered in disutility are not very portable. They're, they're pretty much isolated to um, the Mac. So okay. like you can create, uh, so you can create certainly an encrypted disk image, but I, I am not aware of a way to take an encrypted disk image uh, or an encrypted bundle or sparse bundle that's made with disutility and, and deal with it on another platform. Maybe there's a way to do that. Actually, you know, something comes to mind, Dave, hold on. What's that? Uh, no. Well, I'm thinking is that I've seen utilities that let you read HFS on Windows, but then the problem is, yeah, how are you going to decipher this file? So, so another suggestion is TrueCrypt and use it because uh, part of TrueCrypt, when you create either an encrypted partition, which is specific to a certain file system, or one of these portable containers, uh, you know, container files, yeah, is that it asks for a password, which is basically the encryption key. Okay. Okay. So I would say. Um, so that's it. So if you're brave, I hope you're brave, Peter. Try the terminal. Zip will do it. Just dash E and then, then try it out. I mean, I don't think it can hurt anything if you get it wrong. Um, TrueCrypt is good, too. And, and then another tip here, just, just a little from my security background, a little tip here is when you exchange the password, do not use the same channel of communication that you use to exchange the file. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Well, just, just a handy tip because, you know, I mean, the, 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 I've, I've seen this happen sometimes is that I'll get an email, you know, sometimes uh, it hasn't happened for a while with an encrypted file attached. Then it says, oh, hi, here's the password. Right. So like, why, are you, why are you even bothering encrypting it if you're going to put 
Sure. You know, because if anybody sees that, they'll be like, oh, good for me. Right. I've got everything I need. So, <laughs> so, uh, so use a separate channel, whether it be telephone or maybe a separate email. Not even that, but um, use a separate form of communication to communicate the password other than the channel that you use to communicate the encrypted file. And, uh, and you should be good to go. So that's, uh, that's what I got for that, Dave. You have anything? Uh, no, that's that, that'll, that'll do it. Yeah. I think, I think those are our options, right? I mean, I don't, I don't think we have anything else. So, uh, well, in anybody, the chat room here in the chat room, I do see, um, well, PGP perhaps, um, yep. is another, I, I believe that's also cross platform. Of course, I don't think that's free. So, uh, you know, true crypt, I think is equivalent to, to what you get with PGP, but that's, um, right. But that's, uh, yeah, PGP, I, th- I think, uh, w- would be another thing to explore if you want to do that. But then the other person needs PGP as well. So, right. right well, right. they may not. I, I think they can probably decrypt for free. So, um, okay. Yeah, that would make sense. That would make sense. All right. How are we doing on time here? I guess, uh, you know, we've got one more question here. And I know that this will be near and dear to uh, our friend Jeff Lynch's heart, who's sitting in the chat room. So, uh, it's as good a time as any to bring up this one. John, I know you. You'll know what it is when you hear it. Hi, John and Dave, Bob and Santa Barbara. I took my MacBook into the Apple store for repair the other day. And while I was there, we talked about batteries. And they had something interesting to say, because I know that you guys have been talking about battery life. Um, He said that you should leave your uh, computer plugged in most of the time, that when you unplug it and take it away from its power source and run it down, charge it up, you decrease cycle counts like you guys were talking about. I know about that. And he says that decreases the battery life. I mentioned that you guys in particular mentioned that it seemed to be best to fully discharge the battery, then charge it back up again uh, frequently. And he said that used to be the case, but not so anymore. Now, I'm wondering if he meant with the new MacBook Pros, if he was thinking about that with the new type of battery that they have, or if um, he meant all the batteries they have today, but I don't know if he was confused or not. That's it. Uh, the guy- All right. And we'll and we'll cut you off there, Bob. Thank you. So uh, I know what he's saying. Back in the old days when we all used nickel cadmium or NICAD batteries in the uh, in laptops or in, in, in any device, they suffered from what was called the memory effect, which meant that if you let it discharge maybe 10 or 15 percent and then charged it back up, uh, it would uh, eventually only have a full charge that was 10 or 15% of the maximum. It would, it would start to remember how long you, you would uh, charge it back up and then that would become the the full charge. So yes, with those, it was definitely advisable to let them run all the way down and then run back up. Uh, That is not the case with lithium ions uh, or nickel metal hydride or anything like that. However, uh, our experience has been that and 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 we've we've we did a survey. We have not published the results of it. I've, that's my fault. I've been I've been slow on the draw with that. But uh, but the survey was of several hundred of you that wrote in with your battery usage and your effective full battery capacity now. And what we have found is that in most cases, people that leave their batteries uh, charged on the bench all the time uh, 
wind up having their battery capacity, your cycle count stays very low because you're not charging it very much. But the battery capacity dives after six, maybe 12 months. Your full battery capacity is half of what it was uh, to begin with. And I certainly noticed this with my batteries and we've noticed this with others. The best thing and and John, you know, I kind of learned this from you because you were bouncing your computer back and forth to uh, to your day job was that just simply letting it discharge somewhat and then charging it and, and, you know, maybe discharge all the way and then charging it and really having no respect at all for the battery uh, in terms of how much you were using it gave you, you know, a battery. And we've seen people, we've had people write in that have a cycle count of like on a, on a removable battery, which, you know, the Apple says 300 is the limit, uh, it, you know, before they stop caring about it. Uh, you know, these people have cycle counts in the seven, eight hundreds and the batteries are in great shape. You know, they've still got 80 percent plus of their original capacity, whereas most people who leave them charged on the bench, except when they need to take them anywhere, uh, have terrible battery capacity. So much so that I now on my calendar have uh, scheduled every two weeks to remind myself to yank that uh, that cord out and let the battery do some discharging. So. Uh, you don't necessarily have to let it go all the way down to nothing, but don't leave it on the bench just charging all of the time. That's that's what that's pretty much the clear yeah. answer there. So, yeah. Well, I don't know if it's that clear because that's what I'm doing right now, Dave. And uh, I got I got to say I'm gonna gonna. But you haven't been doing it for video. that long. You've only you've only been leaving about, your laptop on the bench for for a month or so. Yeah, yeah. You haven't right. you haven't been doing it long enough. Well, I'm looking now. I'm looking on my machine here, and I have two batteries, so I'll swap. I'll flip between the two batteries about every month. But right now, I'm looking here, and on my MacBook Pro, I have a cycle count of forty two. Yep. Um, current capacity fifty three oh four. Original fifty five hundred. Yes, so at least for now, and That's I good. pretty much leave it full time. Um plugged in yeah if you leave it that way for a year i can guarantee you you'll have you know it'll be down into 2500 3000 okay well yeah. in a year we'll see all right all right remind me in a year and okay. I, I may uh but, I, but actually what point, i would though, as as a friend i would say don't 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 take one for the team i've taken about 10 for the team on this one uh, and and it's it's I'm ten for ten on on crapped out batteries, so I I would highly recommend you just you know at least twice a month take the thing off charge and let it run down. So, well, well, I do do if I if I do disconnect it for any extended period of time, yeah. maybe about once a month, I will let it do a full that's drain cool. and recharge. Yeah. yeah, and I think that that's one of our recommendations is always do, because that's a calibration operation, uh, yeah, pretty much. But yeah, yep. you should always, I think, uh, let it do every now and then. Uh, again, I'll, I'll suggest once a month or every couple of months. Let it do. It I, full. I would say at, at a minimum of once a month. Uh, mm. And and if that's all you're going to do, be religious about it. Do not go. Do not let it go two months. Um, because I tried that with my last battery. I was I was doing it once a month, and you know it'd be once every five weeks, maybe once every seven weeks, and uh, and it you know bad news. So, uh, you know, my computer's on all the time. It's, it's charging all the time. So, you know, if you're letting it go to sleep, that helps. But, uh, but really the best thing for your battery is using the battery. We've got one guy in the chat room. Uh, I, I believe it's a guy, one person in the chat room. I, I believe it's a person. Uh, we have a user <laughs> in the chat room uh, saying that they have a, an iBook G4, or had an iBook G4 where they had a cycle count of over a thousand 
and uh, and and it still worked great. And you know, called Apple Care at one point, and Apple was like, "How's the battery still working?" Apple doesn't get this. They they're it, at least in general, their support advice is wrong. Uh, it, and does not reflect what what real world uh, usage is. Go ahead, I was going to jump in. Yeah, yeah my, mine's uh, my machine's ten months old now. Um, yeah. It was a refurb, so some of that isn't mine. But my battery, it's the uh, the unibody with the non removable battery. Right. Uh, and we had this discussion some time back, and I was having the same battery issues you were on, on this one. Uh, I'm, I'm averaging nine times a month down battery cycle load cycles, and I take it all the way down to zero at least once a month just let it go to nothing and die and i'm at uh 96 percent yeah and it's so Mm. you know i I know i realize that's anecdotal but um combined together it yeah yeah it pulls it yeah yeah Yeah. definitely yeah i really i I really use that battery hard and uh it seems to respond to the use uh the the batteries in laptops like to be abused yeah yeah, a body really at rest tends to remain at really? rest, and a body yeah. in motion tends to remain in motion. Seems to apply <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah. Now the good news is I still have. So as you recall, I told the story before, but these batteries are courtesy of Apple, right? Because my prior batteries were, and I was, uh, you know, so this is the only, uh, uh, I guess, uh, I'm not totally convinced here because my other batteries, I was certainly cycling them a lot more than I cycled these batteries. Yep. And the and as a lot of you may have noticed, or but you weren't you using them, right? You would cycle them and then put them on the bench. I I was running on battery mode a lot more often in the past than I okay. am now. Okay, and those yeah. batteries died because uh, as as you may notice, or at least if you have the battery icon uh, in your menu bar, in at least Snow Leopard. At some point, and this is what alerted me to this, and I think this was something new with Snow Leopard. Yep. it'll come up with a little caution saying service battery so so very similar to that and that happened on the machine and i'm like hmm all right service battery i call up apple care i'm like i have you know what's up uh you know and even even if you dig in a bit they say oh well you know if this says service battery you better call us and let us know and i called apple and i said hi how's it going uh service battery he's like okay go to system profiler send me your system information which that was cool yeah i gotta say system profiler you can submit that information to apple online and they can see it. I mean, yep. it, it was like the, the most incredible support experience because the guy, it was literally like he was at my machine looking at, um, you know, at my stats because he was. And yeah. he said, hmm. OK, I mean, I told him, you know, I didn't say, you know, do, do you know who I am? And I'm with Mac Geek Ab, you know, because that doesn't usually accomplish anything. <laughs> we have we have a uh, we have battery uh program we have programmer and uh battery expert Jeff Lynch in the chat room saying suggesting that, uh, that you store your spare battery at half charge and not at full charge. Uh yes. we are somewhat out of sync with the chat room so I'm not sure if I'll get a why answer from Jeff uh in Well no Apple Apple recommends that. Apple does too. I, I, okay. I, I'm pretty sure I saw a support article saying if you are going to put a battery on a shelf for any length of time uh, you should, yeah, you should not have it at full capacity. You should have it at about half. Okay. And I think the, I, I think the article, well, I don't know if, I mean, this is like chemistry and physics and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, uh, but anyways, no, once like I, once uh, it, 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 batteries are magic. I mean, it's yeah. just power that's magically, uh, I'm waiting for nuclear batteries myself. I mean, I, I don't know what's, what's holding this up here, you know, fusion batteries or anyways. Yeah, well, um, I want wireless power, uh, except actually we have that. You just don't want to oh, stand oh, in the way of it. Right? I've, I've seen it actually. We I see it I every was day. At, cooks our food. I was, well, I was at MIT and, and actually cooks I do believe they were using, no, they were using microwave uh, technology. Um, yeah. But no, I saw something at MIT. I, I, I was on their campus a number of years ago and they, they demonstrated it. They're like, yep, 
you know, here's the transmitter, here's the receiver. And I'm like, you know, what's the downside? They're like, yeah, don't get between the transmitter and the receiver. Or right. Be very un- any anything that gets between them that, that at least is living will will be very unhappy. It's called radiation therapy uh, in other in other circles, right? I mean, yes, sir. Yeah. But then, so hats off to Apple Care. They replaced the batteries, but this is uh, I'm almost positive will be my last machine, at least Matt portable machine that's going to have a replaceable battery. Oh uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah. All right. Nuclear. Nuclear, yeah, that's right. Uh, okay, well, we've already gone through the contact information. Thank you, everyone, for participating in the chat room. Uh, we are going to continue to do this as long as Comcast uh, doesn't give us any fits uh, in terms of the bandwidth, which we got to get fixed anyway. But, uh, you know, we, uh, we have fun with it. It's nice to have the interaction. And, uh, and I think we've got some other ideas for where to take it from there, too. So, but, uh, so if you're around when we're recording the show, we'll put it out on Twitter that, uh, that you can join us in the Ustream and, and watch Sean and I do this and join us in the chat room. We definitely appreciate it. But don't worry. If you don't join us in the chat room, you'll still get the same thing out of the show that you always have. Uh, we, are, we are not changing anything about the way that we record, except, as you heard today, occasionally peppering in with uh, real-time comments uh, and enhancements from the chat room. So we'll filter those and use our best judgment to see if we can enhance the show with it without taking anything away. Uh, Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast converts this to AAC for you. And I believe he's going to start saving these back as 64K MP3s because we were always at 64K. And then I think the new installer GarageBand he did bumped it up to 128. So I mm. apologize for the longer download times for the last several shows. Uh, Michael wasn't uh, aware of it because of how GarageBand does its thing. But that's coming back around. Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Provides all the bandwidth. To get the show from us to you, the podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebones Software, PDF Pen and Text Expander from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and GoToAssist Express from Citrix at gotoassist.com slash gab. Do you have anything to add before we're out of here, John? Absolutely not. <laughs> all right, then let's go. Let's do it. Oh, let me look at the video. There's the video. They got their water. You, you can view the video after the fact on Ustream as well. You do not have to uh, be here live if you want to see it. You go to our Ustream channel. John, we'll put that in the show notes. Don't get caught. Oh, hey, we're not going to be here next week. Because it's Monday. No? It's Memorial Day. Ooh. Yeah. 